Have you been zombified by natural disasters? You know, fortunately, I have only ever gotten like snow days where we get to like stay in or like a hurricane would hit like and then we would, you know, up in Pennsylvania, we'd like our power would go out and we'd sit around and play board games. So I've never really had to be in the middle of a true natural disaster. Um, How about you? No, not really. I mean, I, you know, we had snow days. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. um, So we had snow days and, but there was never really a time where I was really worried um, about my health or safety. So I think, you know, I'm super lucky, especially given how so many parts of the country are being hit by natural disasters right now. That's true. Right now it's like all over the place. So, um, but, and we're going to, we're going to go into talking about some of the ways people help each other during these natural disasters, but first we should probably say who we are. Yeah. Well, welcome everybody to the zombified podcast. We are your source for fresh brains. I'm your host, Athena Actipus, psychology professor at ASU and chair of the Zombie Apocalypse Medicine Alliance. And I am your co-host, Dave Lumberg-Henrik, media outreach program manager at the psych department at ASU and brain and apocalypse enthusiast. (laughs) Yes, brains, apocalypses, um, they go together. They go together well because, you know, in an apocalypse, you need brains. That's true. You do. You need brains and you can sort of use your brains to help other people. Um, yeah, which is sort of what our guest does, right? Yeah, this this episode definitely leans slightly apocalyptic. Um, we're, we talk with Clyde Kane, who is um, one of the people who runs the Louisiana Cajun Navy, which is a group of people who are um, civilians that have decided that they uh, want to risk their lives and spend their time and resources and money helping to rescue people uh, when hurricanes hit. So they're a really interesting group of people who are, um, you know, really motivated by, um, well, you'll have to listen, I guess, to hear what motivates well, them. I, it sounds both inspirational and a little scary. So it sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It is um, both like, you know, if you want to feel optimistic about human nature, um, listen to this episode. And if you want to be terrified by, you know, the realities of real life apocalypses, you should listen to this episode. Sure. It's like the upside of human nature and the downside of nature, nature. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great way to put it. All right, cool. Um, what's your favorite part of the episode? I, I love when Clyde gets into his storytelling mode and, you know, really kind of paints a picture of what it's like to, you know, be in these really challenging weather conditions, uh, trying to rescue people, sometimes people who might not want to be rescued, actually. Oh, interesting. All right. Well, let's hear from this week's Fresh Brain, Clyde Kane. I know it's crazy, but it seems so logical. Try to fight it, but it's something psychological with you. Makes me act the way I do. I'm not trying to be over-analytical. Retracing time to remind myself how Clyde, would you introduce yourself in your own words for us? 
in my own words. In your own words. I don't want to use anybody else. <laughs> uh, my name is Clyde Kane, and I am CEO and founder of Louisiana Cajun Navy and Louisiana Storm Patrol, our nonprofit 501c3. And I'm from Hammond, Louisiana, and uh, now I kind of roll where the storms are, except mm-hmm. for a down season like we are right now, and then I kind of recover from all that stuff. Yeah, and you've got a background in lots of different things, like you were in the music industry for a while. I was in the music industry during the 90s, uh, early 90s. I was a merchandise, uh, for, I, I managed merchandise, merchandise manager for uh Several companies I worked with, uh, one of my best friends, uh, Herman Crone, who worked for Brock and Merchandise and Great Southern, a couple of the big um, conglomerate printers and, uh, and merchandisers, and they, they brokered bands like Poison, Great White, um, Iron Maiden, I think Iron Maiden was the first band I worked for, and we just handled their merchandise from show to show, mm-hmm. and sometimes we actually vended and we had to sell the merchandise too, but for the most part it was management on the road. Yeah. And now you're bringing that together with uh, maybe yeah, Cajun Navy work. Well, I've always, since then, I've uh, always had my own apparel. I made my own apparel. I uh, also worked for t-shirt shops and mm-hmm. uh, became a graphic designer that way, printing, uh, color separating, getting, you know, just coming up with my own designs. I worked for the for Superdome for about a year or so, selling, uh, selling and, ma- and managing the merchandise there. And, uh, that didn't last too long because I didn't like the designs they were selling and kind of offered myself up as a person to help redesign. Well, they, mm-hmm. they don't take kindly to you not having a degree. Which, mm-hmm. So I told them I'd see them in a the parking lot. And from 2006 to 2010, um, I sold T-shirts to Saints fans and New Orleans uh, fans. Uh, my own designs I made, which one of them was Storm Patrol, which now is my 501c3. Awesome. So art, yeah. uh, you know, life does imitate art. Yeah, right. Well, so can can you tell us a little bit about what the Cajun Navy is, just in the first place? Like, what what is it? The Cajun Navy, um, well, several several uh, definitions. First of all, the Cajun Navy. Let's start with how the Cajun Navy started. Cajun Navy, a uh, bunch of guys, women, and men from all walks of life, we're talking doctors, whoever, that were boat owners in Louisiana, got in a boat and they went down on an action call, called to action by a state representative, I believe, to aid the the rescue of thousands of people in, in Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. And the media quickly dubbed everyone that was in the boat's Cajun Navy. Um, so as time went on, several more instances, in fact, there was another Hurricane right back to back with that was Rita, and some more guys got in boats because that's what they have access to, and they do, and they rescued their neighbors. And we went on to um to we helped in the long term. Fast forward to 2016, we had the big great flood of New of Baton Rouge and uh, surrounding areas, and I kind of just this kind of happened to me this part where I got into the boat and started doing the the boat end of of rescuing uh, and uh, doing long term. At that point, the Cajun Navy name had actually several groups that tried to organize it, and uh, we also uh, organized our group, which has now grown on, grown up to have a about three hundred nine thousand followers. And a lot of people have a misconceptions of who the Cajun Navy is. They think it's just one big large group, or um, 
or you have to be Cajun to be in it or just stuff like that. But it's really what I believe it to be and what it's, what it's, it's very apparent that it is, is it's a mindset, you know, of people that, uh, that want to, that if they have the, the ability and they have the equipment that they get out there and they, they aid in the rescue of um, their neighbors and anyone in the surrounding areas. And now traveling abroad also to do the same thing. Um, it's just, uh, like I said, it's a mindset. Occasion actually is a mindset. If you move down from where you're from and uh, got there, you know, after about a year, maybe you would be hanging out with your neighbors and someone has a pot of gumbo, whatever, they invite you over. You know, it's just, a, it's a, it's a fellowship type deal. I spent a bunch of my adolescence part of um, a little sort of pocket of Cajun culture in the suburbs of Chicago. Okay. Because my best friend um, was in a family band that was a Cajun band. Wow. And I would go along on their shows, and guess what I was doing? I was selling them t-shirts. What? Yep. That's awesome. <laughs> so, so that was my, like... Um, adolescent introduction to like partying was right. you know eating gumbo and listening to Zydeco. Yeah, that was my Zydeco yeah. jazz blues. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a different culture, and 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 uh, Louisiana, of course, you know we're still in the Napoleonic law, and uh, which allows a little bit more looseness for yeah. What's can you allowed. can you explain what napoleonic law is and what the implications well, are yeah so. it's french law you know and um just like in france you have parishes we have parishes instead of counties we have a parish and each parish has of course parish president it's pretty much the same as far as when your your political um tiers go but it's different in the sense that it's always just been a little bit kind of outside of the regular laws uh, especially when it comes to drinking and being out in you know in the public with that, there's a lot of loose knit laws there, and uh, a few other things. Uh, we won't go into the political part of it because I don't like to discuss politics, especially when you're from Louisiana. Uh, everybody <laughs> knows about that. You know, we don't use that c word, the corruption word, but it. That, I mean, that's that's everywhere. Um, it just allows for it a little bit more when you're separate, and you know, Texas same way. Texas, like they say, it's its own country. And uh, for most places, but with us, it actually is. I mean, we have laws that are different if you compare them, uh, or that uh, like give a little bit more grace in areas and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Especially, like I said, in the uh, in the drinking and the and a lot of the other stuff that goes on as far as the partying goes. Uh, there's a lot of looseness there, but for the most part, the traditional part of it all is you know is the uh, the attitude. We have mm-hmm. attitude. We welcome everybody in, and you know, it's, even in football, you know, just. We have, when people come down here, we treat you, I mean, especially if you lose, and you get drinks bought for you all night long. Hmm. Uh, if you win, even, you know, if you don't come down, just kind of be one of those people that rubs it in. But, you know, and then we go someplace else, and we expect it to be that way, and we don't experience that. <laughs> like in Chicago, where we had batteries thrown at us and snowballs. Oh, and yeah. yeah, so you get different regions, and different people have different mindsets. And I know you don't go up north and just start talking to people and hug Hug the wife and kind of hug the husband. We're all huggers down here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How you doing? And uh, you do that there. People kind of like, what's wrong? Why are you hugging my wife? <laughs> so, but um, it's it's definitely a different a different culture when it comes to yeah. food, music, and, and just everything. Right. And so, so down here, you've got all different groups that are sort of loosely organized or more or less organized that identify as. 
part of the Cajun Navy, but it's not one big organization. Not one big organization. And, you know, a lot of the groups, uh, they each year they do like we do in off-season. We try to see what we can do better than we, do, than we did last year. If we're going to stay in it and do it, you know, we're going to respond. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things, once you respond, you kind of feel not obligated, but, you know, uh, prepared to. And it's kind of something you don't just jump out of. Um, it's you, you feel it for me it's like it's a calling mm-hmm. you know I feel it's a calling and um, it, it takes all of the talents that I have and I can use them in, in one arena and it really helps me out to be able to use all that energy and those talents and uh, as well as those benefiting from what we do mm-hmm. but there's actually there's there's gaps we've shown we've shown emergency agencies that there's gaps in their mm-hmm. in their uh, preparedness as well as their uh, their relief efforts so Hopefully, it has inspired them to fill those gaps, and it's also opened the eyes of a lot of uh, of Americans as well as around the world. Yeah, as that you know that we can make a difference. We can do something. That yeah. We don't have to rely on waiting on the people that are supposed to show up. Yeah. So, what is that relationship like between you know, FEMA and you know, government and institutions that are in place that are you know they're performing some role in the disaster, and then where you and other you know, Cajun navies kind of come in. How how does that how does that, that roll out? Again, that rolls out. That usually works out depending on the individual group, you know, and their and their attitude. Um, for us, it's always been we're second responders. We just happen to be those tables turned on us in Houston because the first responders were inundated and flooded in. So we were actually rescuing both, you know, and then when you say rescuing both, we were both rescuing both uh, civilians and first responders really? to get out to help wow. you know, and, and making a way and actually uh, aiding them with our equipment and our boats to help them rescue um, you know, their citizens in, mm-hmm. uh, uh, in Texas. So, and it, it, it really, you either accept or you're not. Some places, you know, of course, they don't, they don't want your help um, or they're just, they've got a bad taste in their mouth because maybe a, a different group or something did something that just was like, you know, they just generalized and said, oh, we just don't want any Cajun navies in here. And uh, and it's it's also an opening. They have to be careful with the groups they let in because there's openings for people that, that do looting. You know, I mean, it's not hard to get you a boat and go in and disguise yourself as one of the rescuers at this point and go in and loot, as well as, you know, maybe possibly even abduct someone. You That's know, really predators. scary. It is. Yeah. It is a very scary thing. But, I, you know, I've seen things, you know, seen bodies in the water where you know they've been shot and you know these kind of things they it's not mainstream media you're not going to see it on there we don't really talk about it for the most part but it happens i mean we were shot at in houston uh not by you know not by anybody wanting to be rescued obviously it was just people that were looting and uh, they didn't want our boats over that way so they either shot in the air shot towards them i'm not really sure but Mm. you know shots are fired and uh, you hear shots fired a lot when you're Mm. when you're out there things are going on so it is the it is like the wild west yeah and it must be hard to be working in that space where people are potentially wary about like the disaster scams right. or there are people who are taking advantage of the situation to do crime right and you're trying to operate in that space to help people yeah. it's it's it does make it a little more difficult of course you know being seasoned i mean this is, i'm going on my fifth season full-time being out there actually in the hurricane when it's happening or thereafter. And uh, so our team's always alert. We're, you know, we all wear a certain color shirt. So we look around, we see other boats, we'll question them. 
you know, we'll police them and uh, and make sure that they're not doing something, especially in the area we're in the zone we're in, because we don't want to fall back on us, but also protect the citizens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. So what, for you, brought you into not just being part of the this Cajun Navy, but actually, you know, being in this position where you're you're managing so many people's effort and energy and helping to kind of direct the operations. What was that progression like for you? Um, it was gradual. I, I really, you know, a lot of times, you know, you read about biblical figures and you know, they were put in positions like Moses was a stutterer and imagine being told to go tell the emperor, free my people when you're stuttering. And so I feel a lot of times, you know, um, I feel I'm being pulled into a situation, whether it's because I'm qualified, most qualified, or there's just no qualified people around. And you find that a lot. A lot of people are, um, they don't have the confidence to lead, even if they are leaders, uh, or the confidence taken on, or sometimes just have that much guts to just jump in and say, okay, I'm going to do this. And uh, it does has good points, it's bad points, especially when it's starting you start talking about your health. Mm -hmm. But um, for me it was it was a gradual thing and as as we grew, I just adapted to this is a different type of leadership. I've I've always been in a leadership role in all my jobs. I've either been a manager, credit manager, uh, managing merchandise, managing um, a drug rehab center and all these different types of levels of people and so for me it's just a matter of uh, I just induce that into what I'm doing and, and use all my skills and then have to you get positions like in uh, Rockport, Texas it was decimated uh, for Harvey we got there and so, uh, someone had dropped off two 18 wheelers full of everything uh, pretty shrunk wrap like they went down the dog aisle and everything from for a dog from a crate to a dog food and all was all shrink wrapped and dropped off and I assumed that when the drivers got there they saw there was no place to drop it and not wanting to assume a role or make sure that it gets in or go the extra mile to talk to someone with a building. They just dropped all the pallets, two, two truckloads. When we got there, we ended up having to, first of all, perform security all night, keep people from looting, mm -hmm. and then getting it in and setting up an operation from scratch with the people around us. And mm -hmm. uh, everyone's willing to help. You just have to, you know, they're looking for someone that's leading. And if you're the one that's out there and you're leading, they're going to follow you until you're just not leading, right? They're going to take a left turn or a right mm -hmm. turn. But uh, I try to establish, you know, who the other leaders are around me, empower them, empower the people around me. Uh, for the most part, the volunteers, there's people around, they want to help again. They're looking for leadership, and their leadership has all disappeared. Mm -hmm. And they don't trust their mayor. They don't trust this person. They're, they're going to trust a local leader or mm -hmm. someone that's in the community. And those people step up. I find them a lot. And uh, But that's what we go in and do. We look to empower other people get things set up and then get them flowing and rolled out. Mm -hmm. But for me, it, again, it's just been my skill sets. You know, I know I have the skill sets and they just fall into place. And when it's happening in the heat of it, you know, you're that one that's just supposed to go and everyone's following you. So you kind of like, I'm it. Yeah. So what does that look like from, you know, you get the, the call or the notification that like it's go, like there's a disaster and you're needed to actually being there on the ground, like what's the what's that process, and how, you know who's getting mobilized, and what's get you know what resources are you calling on, and you. So for us, uh, uh, it's, that's pretty easy. Pretty easy. Um, 
I make the call for our for our group, and it's usually based on not you know Clyde thinks we should do this. It's I've you know I've talked to my CFO, I've talked to my logistics, I've talked to my voters. We all decide where we should go station up when in in the event of you know normally it's hurricanes. So mm-hmm. the hurricane coming in. Is there a recent we, one you could? Um, well, there's about. there's still a suit. The the last okay. two that came in was uh, Barry was mm-hmm. coming into that was Tropical Storm Barry, and all of our Mississippi River was kind of like where everything is right now. The Pearl River was staged up to where it was it was going to over you know it was going to it's going to crest and uh, it's going to be bad. And if Barry would have had came straight up like it was coming in, it was definitely going to flood everything. And then uh, we all got set up and staged up and set out, made a call out. Everybody kind of respecting which Cajun Navy's where, which group is where, and covered. And of course, it came in and it just kind of like the coast just ate it. It never actually came over, so it was the traumatic rain event it was supposed to be. So, again, you know, we don't ever count that as, oh, we got all ready for nothing. That's a good thing. That yeah, in, our, in, our, in our line of work, getting all ready for nothing is great. Yeah. Uh, second, we got ready uh, for, we all got positioned. We were here in, in, uh, in Mississippi getting ready for. Um, hurricane that hit the Bahamas. I'm just I'm failing on my hurricanes right now. Uh, not Dorian. Yeah, was, was it? Uh, I don't know my hurricanes. There so we had Barry. Mm, I'm stumped. Right. The last, the last big category five that did not enter into the Gulf and sat there and tore up the Bahamas mm-hmm. and took a right. You know, for the first time, I watched something go as predicted by the uh, meteorologist, which baffled me and will still always baffle me how a Category 5 can come in tip of Florida. And we call the, you know, the Gulf is the hot tub for, for hurricanes. I mean, once it hits a, that Category 5 would hit there, it might strengthen to something we've never seen before. And it did exactly what the meteorologist said it would do, that it would just kind of sit there and just kind of skirt off up the coast and head back out the Atlantic. Again, we were, we, we were out ready for it to come in and we again we position in stages and we we're ready to deploy whichever direction it went to and uh, I usually ride the dirty end I go in and I watch everything and then tell everybody where to come in for the destruction and none of that happened so this past year it's just been flooding like it's kind of starting now mm-hmm. but it's always a call to action we see it coming we all get an agreement that you know who's going to be able to go out we get our core group together and then it's all about volunteers in that area Mm-hmm. that are stepping up and on standby. So we try not to carry too many people with us. And uh, unless they're just strictly wanting to volunteer and have the time, we try to, again, employ the people that are, are residents or in the area or that have boats or whatever they're willing to, to get ready with us and, and uh, stage up with us. Yeah. So the you know, topic of this podcast is zombification, things that kind of take you over and, I'm really curious about how it how it feels when there is a disaster and you know there are people who are in need and you know that you've got the skills to to help. Do you feel like you have no choice but to go? Are you like zombified by that situation knowing that you can help? Or is there what what is that like psychologically? How do you put that words? Um, it's at first it's a wrestling with yourself. I mean, you know, it's, at the first season, the second season, nothing, you know, to it. Just get out there. It was because it was happening to us. It was happening 
in our state and then right next door, you know, with Harvey. But as it's gone on, again, this going into my fifth season full time, um, there's a wrestling, you know, with yourself as, you know, do I really want to do this another season? Um, you know, uh, I've rescued enough people, uh, you know, and it's, and it's, again, I'm just wrestling with myself because I know, like everyone knows, when it comes down to wire, I'm going to deploy, uh, I'm going to go where I'm needed, uh, where I'm called to. And once you're in it, it's just, it's like anything else, like the heat of the game. You don't think about it till long after it's all over with. Once you get in there, it's just go and you go and you know what to do and you, you don't second guess yourself, especially after five seasons. But there is that, that preparation time where you have your downtime and, you know, sometimes it's gloomy outside, you get a little depressed and you may think about some, you know, some of the things may flash back to, you know, what you've been through and, mm. and I've been in some pretty, uh, well, some, some things that shouldn't, I shouldn't be here today. Right. I shouldn't have made it through yet. So you think about those things and you think about, you don't never think about, you know, is it worth it? Uh, it's, it's, is no greater love than laying down your life for your friend, you know, and when you do that and you get out there and you do that and you come back from it, there's that, there's that overwhelming sensation and feeling that, hey man, I was, you know, my existence helps, helps someone else out of a, you know, out of a situation that otherwise they might not have got out of, but and there's that downtime and I've had those moments where I wake up and night terrors and just, you know, thinking about it when you, my brain actually starts to process everything you've gone through because you're not processing a whole lot when you're in there. It's think and move. It's mm-hmm. only the only time, you, the only time, uh, the only, yeah, the only thing you have time for is to, to think and move. You can't second guess yourself. You mm-hmm. just got to go with what you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, and how much of that is like you're sitting there, you're, and you're really making a decision versus you're just, you know, you're taking it in and you're just, you automatically kind of know what to do or the environment is just telling you what you need to do. Uh, combination of all three, you know, you're looking at your environment. When we got to Newburn, I got there and it was very apparent that, uh, that everybody that had been told to get in their attics weren't going to make it. Um, so we had our boats come in right behind me and, I just took off walking into a neighborhood that the uh, water was, the storm surge coming in. And it, as I walked into it, it went from knee high to above my waist. Wow. And we did get to the one guy I was looking for. It was the only one that they wrote is they wrote down anything more than an address. And, uh, you know, went there to get him. He was, he was, he wasn't leaving. He, um, he had a, a messed up ankle, but he had gotten, managed to get to second floor, which we all knew the water was going to go higher than that. But, you know, you can't force somebody to leave, you know, against their own will, even though you know it's the best thing for them. Those are the hard ones we leave behind. And uh, as I was walking out and walking back, I realized I had gone 200 yards with no life vest on. I had given my life vest to my uh, fellow uh, rescuer. And, you know, started realizing that the water had come up higher. The, the, power, the power lines were whipping. And even though they're not charged if one pops loose it's going to be like a whip and it, it can do some damage to you if not cut you in half cut off a limb wow and at that point you know you, you some there's moments like that where you realize hey have i gone in too deep you know because i've just <laughs> for real too deep <laughs> right, right way too deep yeah. and uh, i started putting my arms out to stabilize myself because your your um vertigo starts setting in when you see the water moving and the houses um. and you start to get real disoriented 
And then on top of that, you, you, again, you, you start to realize I've just put myself in a very, very dangerous situation um, with my, I'm going to go rescue this guy one way or another attitude. And uh, it, it makes you later, I've second, I've stopped and second guess is that the right thing to go into. But in the heat of the moment, it's just like with anybody else that runs in a burning fire or something, you just do it because, you know, you it's an innate instinct just tells you, hey, I, I can do this, I can make it out. It doesn't always work out that way, but um, I've not been in those situations. So, yeah, it does. It has changed the way I think over the years. Yeah. But uh, at first, it's just, you know, you just go. Go and get and rescue. and You don't think about your own safety, except for be careful. And uh, the last thing you want to think about is, you know, call them mom and say, mom, this might be the last time I talk to you, mm-hmm. those kind of things. Although you realize that when you get out there, like, man, I should have called my mom on this one. Those things cross your mind. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's definitely not something that I advise anybody to ever just to do because, but in a situation, someone that has a rescue mentality or has that that passion in their heart or that compassion for another person, they're going to do it, whether it be going, grab them out of a car fire on the side of the road. You've heard people doing it all the time, uh, to doing it, you know, nonstop. Yeah. Yeah, I want to ask a little more about that because for a lot of people, I think it's hard to understand why someone would just not even think twice about putting their lives on the line for a stranger. And a lot of people who maybe are, you know, trained in academia and economics and in evolutionary biology, the you know, the, the first assumption is kind of that self-interest is the guiding principle. And then, and maybe you can have preferences to take care of others that feed into your, you know, satisfying your own needs economically or evolutionarily. But this idea that there are a group of people who organize themselves, spend their time and energy and resources to go out and save strangers and put their lives on the line too, it it's it's I think a, a concept or a just a real it's a reality that's happening there that might be a little hard for people to understand who are from you know, trained in that kind of perspective. For me, yeah, it's harder to understand why they don't understand it, and I'll tell you why. A soldier does it every day. I mean, he joins up, doesn't know where he's going, ends up in a foreign country, you know, protecting people he doesn't know. They're not even of the same nationality uh, or her same nationality. And uh, and yet they serve our country to protect people they don't know. They're just Americans. To them, they're not something. I mean, they protect their family, but what about all the people they don't know? And uh, so it's... I'm going to always say it's in our nature to do that. And some people have been just so desensitized by whatever, whether it was the way they were raised, you know, or uh, ideals they were taught, or just, it's just your personality, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, you know I mean, we all have the choice to whether care or not care. We've all been given a choice in all areas of life, uh, freedom to choose. And so for me, it's, it's just... It's the way I've always been. I've always been that person that, you know, as a kid, I gave away my toy to a kid who didn't have toys. It might have left me without a toy, but I knew he didn't have any toys. And I would get in trouble for giving away my toys or 
stuff like that. But again, it's hard for me to understand that this this country was founded on biblical principles and the way it worked back in the 50s was great. I mean, everyone was happy to a degree the way family life was and suddenly we, we, we got away from the... It, became, it wasn't small anymore, it was bigger. And as we became uh, more populated, ideals and things changed, uh, people changed. And we got away from um, that the neighbor, a neighborhood isn't a neighborhood anymore. A lot of people just, a lot of people don't know their neighbor till a hurricane comes and they meet Joe down the road, four houses down or five houses down. And then uh, after, afterwards I find that they have great relationships in these neighborhoods because they've all rebuilt together. But um, again, I, I guess if you think this way, it's hard to imagine not thinking this way. And then, you know, I'm sure other people that think the other way think, you know, hey man, I'm, it's me or them, it's going to be me. Then, you know, I mean, again, that's, that's the uh, afforded choice that they've been given. And if you're okay with that, then I guess that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think that uh, in order, for, I, I say this all the time, man, America's going to be great when Americans make it great again, and, and the world too. You know, when everyone gets a hold of that, that thought that, uh, you know, my existence can make a difference in someone else's uh, life or death if I, you know, get outside of myself from that, my own little world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, make the population maybe two or three in my own world and, and begin to look past my issues and my circumstances and what I'm going through. And I know one thing that my life, everything I've gone through has helped many and a lot of things I do behind the scenes, counseling, uh, whether it be drug counseling or just, you know, uh, marriage counseling, I'm pretty much authority and all that stuff, been through it. Might not have a doctrine and uh, on paper, but I've definitely lived it. So I make my time of, available to a lot of people besides when I do in voluntary hours. You know, friends, I was just on the phone with one of them when we got together here. And, uh, and it's that one thing is, you know, I have a lot of friends because they know I'll be there to listen. I'll be that iron that sharpens iron. I'm not going to tell you what I think you should hear. I'm going to tell you what you what the truth. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. And, you know, people really genuinely want to know the truth. And uh, once you tell them the truth, and that's, you know, and that's what I do when I get to, hey, guys, no one's showing up here in this neighborhood to help you. We're going to have to help each other. So I get everyone to help. It's Jerry Maguire. Help me help you. And mm-hmm. that's how it works. Mm-hmm. And uh, people are inspired, and, and hopefully they, that carries on. It's not just through that event. Like Christmas, you know, everyone gets inspired at Christmas and everybody's in that loving, giving feeling and then Christmas is gone. It's funny how everybody just goes back to the way things were. Yeah, so is there a sense of sort of camaraderie among all of the people who are helping during these times, people who are identifying as Cajun Navy and working together to save people? Is there a sort of you know, sense of collective identity that emerges or not so much? It once was and we wanted it to be. We even attempted to have it to where it was, you know, everyone kind of, if you had your own team, we still kind of bounced off each other. And then it became like a school playground where, you know, we're the real Cajun Navy. You did, you know, and it it really got, and I, I fought Facebook a lot for that because, you know, it's such a, social platform that everyone can get on live and do whatever and voice their opinions and so I I tend to steer clear of the social media except for the using it of it um, 
there has been times where it's gotten really petty and they actually started undermining the very thing that we're about, you know, getting together, helping each other, yet the groups were divided. And uh, it's been a lot of, you know, background drama about that, but I, I stay clear of it. Mm. I, I stay clear because that's not the mission. I stay mission-minded. And uh, a lot of the other groups, they just, they, they, they did it for this amount of time and they get out and then they, you know, everyone's finger pointing at who did what and where. And it's it's not like it's really governed. Um, the state tried to govern it, but it's, again, it's a grassroots organization. Uh, mine's actually a company. And um, so there has been some bickering amongst the tribes, you know, and it's, it's that's typical. But uh, for the most part, I've been able to stay neutral and, and talk to all the guys. Of course, they all voice their opinions about everyone else. But mm-hmm. They never try to tell each other. You know, it's mm-hmm. funny. So it's kind of a decentralized yeah. set of groups yeah. and, and uh, so within the these particular groups is there a sense of camaraderie within them to a degree yeah. and, you, you, and and those groups that you see that are uh, that we'll call them the bickering groups they usually don't keep volunteers too long because mm-hmm. they're, they're, the bickering goes all the way down into the roots of the group mm-hmm. and there's no standard set there and that's you know one thing it's like any any company you work for you go to it uh, if you're not a part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And if you're negative, they're going to get rid of you real quick. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're behind the scenes talking about the boss, and it gets around the boss real quick. Mm-hmm. So, um, the groups that are I can say this: the groups that are successful are the ones that don't practice those those uh, principles of mm-hmm. allowing you know this negativity to go on. Yeah. The ones that practice good business sense, like any company that that is successful, they're successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to circle back around to the zombification question. I want to ask you whether when a storm comes and it's clear that you're, you're going to have to jump into action, you're going to have to get your team and everyone who's attached to your extended group to go move into action. Is there a sense that the storm is in charge, that you're zombified by this need to to deal with what is kind of coming in from, from the environment? Or is it more of a, a give-and-take relationship? I mean, what, what does that feel like when you've got that storm coming? Is it is the storm driving you? Storms, yeah, the storm's definitely driving you, and you're paying attention to it, to the where you're engrossed. I mean, you're engrossed with... I've learned more about weather and what it does in the past uh, 13 years, but really vividly in the past five years, just watching radar and, and um, watching. So there's no there's no constant. You know, it's going to do what it's going to do, and you have to be prepared in all, at all levels for what it's going to do. Um, but you you definitely that week before once the storm forms, everyone's just watching and planning and you know getting everything ready, checking everything, make sure everybody's ready. We're all stay, we stay on the same page. Um, and we actually deal with a big influx of, of people, you know, hey, where are y'all going? So we have the, uh, the general public and our volunteers to deal with also. And then once we have a good point of where it's coming in, we go, we try to get there. Actually, we do a lot of this the week before, right in an area where it's almost a solid projected path. Uh, we're talking about hurricanes for the most part. I just started responding to tornadoes and stuff. They're unpredictable. Uh, but 
the uh, with the hurricanes, we get position, and then it's it's just watch it and see what it's going to do. And uh, of course, you know it can strengthen or it can die down. And um, so, a lot of praying going on about right then, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of anxiety. I mean, you know, you immediately start reliving some of the other stuff, and when I start reliving that stuff, I start thinking about okay, what did I do in that situation that could have been different. So there's a lot of re-rehearsing um, mm-hmm. and just gut checking. Everybody's you know, checking themselves. Are you ready to do this? Are you sure? Because uh, you don't want to get in the middle of that and have a breakdown. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, and it's uh, it pressed. But again, in the heat of the moment in the game, you're just in it, you know. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, you definitely, you feel zombified. Mm-hmm. You just, you know, you're staring at this image that's coming in and... Praying for the worst, praying for the best. Yeah. So in that moment, or once you know you or you know you've seen your your people like go in. Okay, we're we're all in. We're we're doing this. Is there a sense that you've kind of given up some of your autonomy at that point, and that you're just doing what needs to be done, and you're not really totally you anymore? You're like definitely not me anymore. Really? Yeah, that's why I get the nickname at the Admiral. It doesn't mean I run. Everyone got this idea. It was because I was the Admiral of the Cajun Navy. It was, I'm the Admiral of my group. It's the same as Carl being called the CEO or captain of the team. You know, I go into this whole different. My, my voice even changes. I yeah. start talking about I get this Moses voice. Mm-hmm. It's really deep, and and I'm like, where'd this come from? I want my voice back. You know, <laughs> it's really weird. Huh. It, uh, and it, a lot of it has to do with I'm talking a lot. Um, interviewing a lot, um, dealing with everybody from CNN to local news to local authorities. And uh, my voice actually gets a lot deeper. Mm. It's really weird. And uh, and then I just get in this, you know, it's really um, automated. You know, I've got to lead. No feelings here. No, you do this. No, we can't do that. And just clear-cut decisions being made on, uh, on you know, and they're constants. There's a constant there because I'm basing, I'm basing everything off of the right thing to do, what we're supposed to do, what we do for one, we got to do for all, and everyone, everyone work as a team, even though I'm the boss or I'm the leader. You know, we're all. I, I ask everyone, hey, are we doing this? Are we doing this? Not let's go, and because unless we walk in agreement, we're going to have an issue. So mm-hmm. I, the team walks in agreement, and if the plans change, then someone audibles and they have to audible out there. They know, they pretty much know me and know what, what I would say or do. And it's going to be, what is the, what is the right thing to do? What is, you know, is it, is it the right move? Mm-hmm. You know, is there any other option? So weighing out our options and uh, our choices uh, as a group is a big thing. We, yeah. we definitely work together really good as a team. Yeah. So you have seen some pretty catastrophic, almost apocalyptic kind of, yeah. scenarios in your day yeah talking about zombified when I was in that water coming back and realizing you know everything was not good hoping I could make that 200 yards back um, I, I saw it was really like um, zombie land because you see you know everything's really getting really dark hurricanes coming in and you start seeing heads pop out of windows just Really? Silhouettes, yeah, they're looking, they're looking, popping in, and you're like, really creepy, it's really creepy. And you know, you look at these people, and 
there's no eye contact because it's like you know, there's just dark. You're seeing silhouettes of people on second stories and stuff. You're kind of looking out and people looking and mm. and it's really creepy. I saw that and uh, that was that was a jarring moment where it was kind of like apocalyptic. Like this is and then of course it got worse from there. But then I've been to places like after Hurricane Michael where it just looks like uh, Godzilla just stepped you know right there. Uh, on that whole area of Mexico Beach and uh, Panama City Beach and all were just wiped out. I mean, houses were just toothpicks. You know, mm-hmm. Category 5, you're not going to survive that. And a lot of people stayed behind. So that turned into more of a search than search and rescue. And I don't do that. I don't. I go recover live people for the most part. And that's what I try to find. And we have a lot of cross people that haven't, but um, there's other people that are more, you know, I guess skilled in that area. I don't definitely don't want that in my mind, in my memory. I've, I've got enough. You know, yeah. I've seen enough. Hmm. So when you think about where things are are going in the future, in terms of storms and even just in the case of this region, what do you see? What's your? I see a lot of reconstruction happening. Yeah. Um, Right now, looking at the weather, and just it's, it's not even the end of February. I think it's flooding Texas. Mm. May flood Louisiana. So this is a yearly events now. It's not something that you know. Oh, it might flood. You know, it hasn't flooded in five years, ten years. It's flooding. Uh, hundred year plains. Hundred years are up, and those are flooding. And uh, Nebraska and all those places they experienced the very worst of of anything they've ever seen, I think. Last year, St. Joe, Missouri, uh, all the states up there, Tennessee, flooding. Um, it's It can only get worse. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not unless, and even if we rebuild our levee systems and uh, anything we can do proactive at this point, it's, the weather's worsening. Um, it's there's the, the, the water's rising. It's, it's just time to accept that. And, uh, you know, a lot of people like, Along this way here, you see they haven't moved back. People are relocating. Um, I think it's probably a big game changer in real estate as mm-hmm. to where people are deciding they're going to move to, relocating, as well as people selling homes and mass exiting mm-hmm. areas. Yeah. You see that a lot too. Yeah. So if things keep going the way they've been going in your mind, um, I mean, are, are we facing a zombie apocalypse kind of scenario in the future? We're definitely facing, uh, you know, weather changing the way of life for, for most people as they know it today. Um, you know, it's, uh, I don't know how everybody deals with it up north. I've, I've, I've been there on tours and I've been up there, but I don't know that I could, I could actually mentally just handle being inside for so long. I lived in Denver. I know when it snowed in for a week, that was, that was very trying. Um, and how people cope around that. But the same goes for the South and for all the flooding. Um, you know, some people rebuild, they build higher. But uh, again, when you go through a storm and you survive it, and let's say you make it through the hurricane, there's all the aftermath, which is lack of resources. Um, the way the, the South is designed with the one highway, there's only one way through. You know, Louisiana, Texas, unless you go up and through. And then again, all that's going to be flooded too. 
you, you deal a lot of washed out roads. We, we dealt with that going into Harvey before Harvey even hit, we got there mm-hmm. and it was flooding and we had to cut up through top of Louisiana, come back down through top part of Texas, that, that straight 10, which goes from coast to coast, uh, floods out, especially in Beaumont area and all that. I drove through it. It was called Lake, I call it Lake I-10 because the lake mm-hmm. uh, from Houston had flooded the freeway. So it's definitely going to change transportation if the if the Mississippi River ever breaches and breaks. It's definitely going to change, you know, everything. Even um, even the way we transport goods up and down the Mississippi River. So it it's definitely. I mean, times are changing due to the weather, and uh, and so is uh, production movement of mm-hmm. of goods and, and stuff like that. And then uh, then the government wants to even even put any money or anything into those areas uh, for them mm-hmm. to just flood again. So um, I think it's something that's, you know, the craziest thing is if it happens right next door to you, you don't know. I mean, Mississippi for 13 years hasn't had a hurricane, so they really kind of heard about Harvey. They may know about this, but they don't know much about us because we haven't, we haven't done anything but show up here in their, um, in their state to, to, to disband. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if things get worse with weather events in the future, is the infrastructure that, you know, we currently have going to be able to hold up to to that? I mean, or, you know, do we need to change any, anything fundamental about how we're, we're operating as a society to, to deal with it changing? weather patterns first uh, I guess some of the biggest changes need to happen is just in the uh, evacuation because it is happening more and more um, they need to restru- restructure that if they expect people to um, evacuate biggest issue I always see is, is with the animals and with the pets people stay home with their four dogs uh, their five cats or whatever they don't have a place to bring them to they're going to stay home and they're going to ride it out and that's Sometimes that's a death sentence, mm-hmm. uh, especially flood. You're not going to make it through, and you end up being rescued with your animals if you're lucky. Now, there's so many people out there willing to help with that, and uh, the government, local, city, state need to seize the moment on that and seize a hold of that. And uh, we do it through social media. They they have just as much access to social media too, and uh, if they just employ the people and you know, how they just started it. I know they don't want to deal with any more than what they have with the officials to deal with unofficial people, but to have these groups come in is a great thing and they'll help tend to the pets. And that's just one of the small problems with just not having to deal with the aftermath and deaths mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and whatnot. And then as far as recovery goes, and that's, whew, we don't have enough time to talk about uh-huh. the infrastructure of what needs to happen yeah. with the uh, emergency management agencies, um, it certainly all needs an overhaul. There needs to be more accountability, especially when it comes to the funds, uh, where they're distributed, how they're distributed, um, the waste that goes into the, the mobile home units that are built and uh, that don't get distributed properly. And by the time they're built and everything, the people have either recovered, moved on, so it's there's a big chunk of money wasted. And uh, also resources as far as volunteers and people that volunteer for that. Now, someone gets rich, someone, mobile home, unit company that's producing gets rich, but the people, they don't get help. So mm-hmm. a lot of that has needs to be restructured and uh, 
whoever on the political level gets on board for that will be a very popular person with the people when it comes to restructuring it uh, geared towards the people and not for the government. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now, I've, you know, we've got DEA agents, SAW teams that deploy with us and uh, have joined up with us and all because they don't get deployed by the, by the agencies that are in place to not throw anybody under the bus. Um, and there's a breakdown in that system. It's 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 broken system, mm-hmm. and it definitely needs to be revamped. And that is something going forward that I hope we inspire people to see is that this really needs to be be given a look over by everyone, not just you know cursing the group that's supposed to do it. But how how can we change this? How can we be a part of this? Where do we propose these uh, these ideas? Mm-hmm. Who's listening? And uh, and getting on board with that because. As quick as the weather's changing, we need to be modifying what we do, you know, adapt and overcome. And right now, you don't see that. You see everyone being um, reactive rather than proactive. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm praying that that switch comes, you know, and that's why I stay in it for the most part vocally on Facebook and other areas and do what I do as far as giving the guests speaking and stuff is Mm -hmm. to just, you know, to the intel dies with me if I die. In the storm, so I try to get out as much of the intel that I've learned, so that it can carry on mm-hmm. and go to the right people, and maybe a voice or somebody that hears it and takes it and heralds that message out, and it helps future generations, the youth of America going forward. They don't have any idea what's really coming because they've been taught a certain ideal about things, and um, unless they get involved with people like us or watch what we're doing, which is why I do Facebook, it's right in your face, then they'll they'll wake up one day to this is a problem and we don't have a solution. Yeah, so what can we do as a civil society, you know, people, not necessarily top-down government, but, you know, folks like you organizing to help people who are in need, or even, you know, what can people do? Maybe they don't have all the skills they that you, you guys and your team have, but what can people do to be a little bit more prepared at least for? Um, I guess look at, first of all, it's regional. You know, everyone lives in a different region and weather's different. And we all deal with rain events. Uh, we don't deal with snow. And, uh, you know, because when it snows down here, <laughs> it's crazy. People, you can definitely know they've never seen snow much because everyone's off the road or, you know, um, everyone wants to drive out in it, and it's like, you know, it's Christmas for them when you guys up north, y'all are like, man, it's snow and shut the, you know, shut the barriers. Mm-hmm. But um, so regionally, I think first and foremost, community leaders should be more um, disaster uh, minded, you know, as part of uh, a, a yearly discussion, if not, you know, uh, trimesters and, uh, and what seasons we go through. Um, not only for the good of the people, you know, having a plan, having a better plan than you know, just let's evacuate and stick people in the building until it passes. Um, to what is the structure? What is the what is the budget set aside? What is the protocol? Most people don't, you know, people don't find out about FEMA until it's time to use FEMA. Then they find out, oh my God, it's a loop, and I got to pay this, and I do this, and then everyone's confused. So they're learning. It's kind of like on the job learning when they really should. You know, become familiar with what's available in your in your city in the event of something happened to you. I mean, in any event, uh, your 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 shelters. What's your plan? So the community's got to get involved and ask the questions because if you're not asking the questions, then they're not volunteering any answers or volunteering those platforms up. 
you know, all's quiet. No one's asking any questions. We can go home for the day. And the the civilians and the uh, the general public needs to become more involved with uh, asking those questions. Someone, and then from that, leaders will emerge, groups will emerge, and then a call to action will start to happen. Um, but you know, a closed mouth doesn't get fed. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not opening your mouth, you're not asking questions. Knowledge is power. If you don't know, you're not, you're, you know, the wrong time to find out you don't know is when you're in the middle of it. That's just the wrong time. Yeah. So when it comes to also this desire to, to help, right? Like when a disaster occurs um, and a response is, is needed, I wonder if there are ways that we can do a better job as a society of actually leveraging for good this zombification of like people wanting to help, right? Because a lot of people, when things get bad, like if they have the ability to help, they, they want to get in there and help, but sometimes people don't always know exactly what to do or how to, you know, figure out what they should do. And sometimes people end up not being helpful or being unhelpful or making things worse because they're trying to help and haven't worked out how to actually use. So, so, so how can we take that, you know, that zombification of like, oh, something bad happened, I want to help, right. and channel that for, for good outcomes? Well, that's where, you know, on our page, on LouisianaStormPatrol.com, we have a volunteer place where you volunteer, you fill out a volunteer form, and I just uh, peeked into that last night, and I've got a lot of, you would believe the amount of people, and uh, they're and their skill sets from nurses to mental health to firemen to retired police officers. I mean, there is a plethora of people there that I need to go through. So the painstaking task of going through these people and vetting them is going to be on my shoulders and a few other people because everyone wants to volunteer. You always have to, first of all, you know, look at their skill set. What is their motive? You know, I, I look at the motive real easily when I can read through this the way you fill out an application. But for the most part, again, I don't I don't want someone that's running from a disaster at home coming out in the field and and helping with a disaster and then the next thing you know, that disaster at home is causing them to act irregular out here. That happened too many times. And again, the best the best tactic for this is to have people from the local area working together. Because when you leave, and if I brought a bunch of volunteers, they don't take those volunteers with me, you're left with nothing. But if I got everyone working together and our teams are all working together with empowering you to do, then that carries on. And then we can leave comfortably feeling like, okay, what we started here, they're either going to finish or not, but they know that it's, it's up to them. It's their community. And that keeps us from enabling both, um, both the people from just, you know, relying on everybody from outside source coming in, they start to resource within each other. And of course, outside sources still come in, but they start looking out for each other when it comes to donations. You're not going to steal from each other, but other people will steal from you coming in. And uh, that's that's a big deal when donations start rolling in. A lot of there's storm, you know, uh, hoppers, we call them. They come in, they'll set up fake, uh, you know, uh, donations, supplies. And next thing you know, they're shutting down and, and you see them get a bunch of... Uh, quilt sets and they say someone comes in oh, I need a quilt oh we gave them all away overnight you were closed you know so you see this kind of stuff happening and it's it it doesn't care it, it doesn't matter if it's a church or whatever I've seen it happen at all 
spectrums of of, uh, of the business world as well as the church world. So it's it just gets down to the individual. But um, getting everyone to work together again in the areas, the volunteers again with my queue that I have. I look through if we're going to Texas. I'm gonna look through everybody in the Texas queue and uh, and start to call them and let them know we're coming. You still interested? Uh, we're gonna be able to use you here. You want to report here, and then we play it by ear. So keeping it local kind of then not just gives you the long-term viability and resilience, but also you have those reputational ties that are already there, right. which kind of help keep people honest and exactly. keep them from trying to take advantage of each other. And we get the, when the trucks come in for us, I don't set up a donation center where I get that stuff unpackaged at all. That's first of all, that's time consuming. I don't have the volunteers for that. Uh, we have set up donation centers within the regions for instance the church to start to supply them but if we find that someone's not letting the stuff out or we hear something that's you know that's shady we'll shut that down real quick for us the best thing is we get it and we put it in the cube trucks and we bring it like uh, for me i like to bring it to the fire departments i like to bring it to the police departments because then it reestablishes their relationship with the community um you know and the police officers get to meet the people on a different basis rather than, you know, I pulled you over, whatever. Everyone's there working. You know, it, it, I think it actually strengthens the community ties um, in the sense of, you know, that's what, um, that's what a hurricane and that's what disasters do. It, it brings people close together. Um, what, you know, what you would think would be an adverse effect divides people, but it actually brings people close together. You know, this racism is just not there. You know, the absence of racism. In fact, we have a lot of, officers shot and stuff before the uh, 2016 flood and and we had a real racial divide going on and then next thing you know the hurricane came and that was gone or the the flooding the three-day flooding that was gone last thing that you were hearing about was anything like that everyone was helping everybody it didn't matter what color race uh what your religion background any of that stuff was it all just kind of suddenly went away and uh and people are pushed together and they have to you know have to serve one another help each other um, they got to get through it together. There's yeah. just no, you don't become an individual in a storm. Mm-hmm. You become part of a unit really quick. In a storm like that, we're all in the same boat. Yep. <laughs> you're, you're all in the same boat. I put everybody on. I'm like, aren't y'all glad I don't check what your religious order is or if you were part of Antifa or KKK or whatever it is where you don't have that special card that works. The only card you need is that you need to be rescued. You get in here and you're, you know, you're in need. And uh, that's it. It doesn't matter whether you were on drugs last week. It doesn't. I mean, we go to neighborhoods that are the drug neighborhoods, so they call them. But uh, nobody's on drugs. Boy, that next once it's all flooded out, everyone's on a level playing ground. Everyone's all equal. And at that point, you start to find out that guy you thought down the street was just a crazy drug head. He comes. He's the one that knocks on your door and puts you on an air mattress and pulls you out of that that flooding trailer. Mm. So. It's uh, it's like I said, it's definitely a game changer for everyone, and uh, the floods and the uh, hurricanes will definitely push the people together. Yeah, and then I guess ideally, that experience then makes that community better able to deal with future challenges. Or definitely, those that stay behind, those that stick it out, definitely. I've seen it, uh, you know, from everywhere from the low income. Um, neighborhoods to the you know all the way up and again it's a level playing field what happened in houston was even you know, rich poor 
insured, uninsured. It doesn't. I mean, the uh, the storms don't. They're not partial. And they just they don't judge. They just do. And so everyone gets together uh, on a. It's not on. It's it's on a common denomination level now. You know, we've all been affected. They all share one common denominator now. We've all been affected by a flood, and um, it definitely. I, you know, I've seen it change. For the better, and then I've seen it just the neighborhood just leave. You know, the people that did come back maybe because this neighborhood used to be there forever moved off, then this neighbor move off. The close knit neighborhoods either go away or they become closer. Hmm. But I have seen it uh, push neighborhoods together where there was crime and all kind of things going on that just kind of changed because everyone found out. You know, hey man, we got to live together here. That's interesting. So you have kind of almost a bifurcation where the neighborhoods can become closer and better able to deal with problems or they can just break up and everyone leaves and walks away from it. And disintegrate. And then, you know, if 10 houses leave on a block and there's two left, those people are like, uh, they're looking around and those citizens are like, oh, do you want to know who's going to move in next door? No, we kind of didn't really have fun with the last ones or... You know, or we miss our great neighbors and they end up moving, you know, most people move off. Mm-hmm. Most, most people move off from those areas, uh, especially if it happened back to back. Like in Louisiana, there was a March flood and then there was an August flood. Oh, and nice. so, you know, you just finished rebuilding. In fact, my uh, my mom lives somewhere where the uh, the man that owns the uh, the mobile home park said, you know, if it, if it comes through again, I'm just handing the keys in my house and I'm leaving. Wow. So, you know, it's, it, you get to that, I think, like, this season, a lot of people have already made those type of decisions. Mm-hmm. This happens again, I'm out. You know, I'm going to move here. And others have moved off. They've moved off mm-hmm. to other places where, you know, dealing with the Arizona sun ain't so bad anymore. We're just going over there, you know. <laughs> it's like, we used to wonder why all those people sit out there in the desert, but, you know, yeah. everybody understands that. Yeah. So there's something about that, like, two seasons in a row, you know, you just got you just recovered from the last thing and you're hit again that kind of takes the wind out of your sails for because you know what you're going to have to go through and you just went through it and it's like I, I'm not dealing with an insurance company again I'm, you know let's just roll and uh, you pick up the pieces and you go somewhere and some people man I mean that's the start of a new life and that's you know that's really what they were probably looking for all along mm-hmm. uh, spoke with many like a lot of people that came out of the ninth ward you know, I made a statement one time in a group. I said, you know, hey, guys, you can't say at least under your breath, if not out loud, you ever said, God, if you just get me out of this, I'll do it better. I said, some of y'all, man, y'all need the flood to move you. You wasn't moving. <laughs> you know, you, you're saying, you know, if we could just change everything, well, don't question how God moves you. So, you know, a lot of people sat around and they wanted, they we're going to wait on FEMA. And back in 2005, and then there was people that made a decision, Clyde, I want to go with what you're saying. There's people out here offering us a place to stay, a heads up, a new start, a car. And I started, it was families adopting, Americans adopting Americans, and I just started plugging people into each other and vetting them and getting them to meet each other and, and stuff like that, setting expectations. And that worked out for a lot of families. And then there was other ones that just said, you know, we're just going to go with what the government's going to give us. And they took the FEMA trailer park and still, some still live there now. It's, it's not a bad place, but, um, you know, that's what, that was their decision. Yeah. That ultimately got them out of that place they were in. Yeah. So the storms can have these really, really long lasting effects on 
people's lives. Yeah. Yeah, I deal with a lot psychologically. Uh, yeah, I get phone calls from people that after that happens, it's a, uh, it's just like a domino effect for them. They, they just can't seem to get back on their feet. They just can't seem to get a job. They just can't seem to be in one place. And, uh, it's, and I think for me to understand them best, cause I've been through it, it's, it's the trauma of it. You know, it's really, you're unsettled. Um, you're not really yourself after that. Um, as far as, you know, if you were one of those guys always kidding around all the time and suddenly life got real for you and you're not in your comfortable setting of the neighborhood you grew up in or the people you're around, you're suddenly thrown out there and you're just trying to make ends meet. It, I've had, I've talked to a lot of people out of suicide, um, talked to, to a lot of people who've lost, where families have broke up, you know, husband called me, wife left me. Uh, I've changed, you know, I don't know how to deal with this. Um, you know, I've always been a working man. I can't get a job or it's not the same job or it's not the same area. You know, they, they call me because they feel like they know me or I can talk to them on the phone or I'm relatable because I'm on a video and, uh, and I give them that time, but it's, it's a common denomination also amongst men, dignity, pride, you know, being able to take care of the family. Suddenly they can't, it'll cause a relationship to go downhill real quick. Um, and of course, we always forget about the children and us taking all this in that, you know, maybe only two or three, you can't really talk, but they're taking it all in. And uh, they're traumatized. A lot of children are traumatized from the floods that we've rescued, I know. So it is very traumatic, and I don't know how they deal with it on a psychological level. And I don't know that, I do know things happen after that that really is, uh, is sad because, you know, this guy may have never uh, had a criminal record, but you know, gets a desperate situation, steals some diapers, steals something, he's got to have it for his family. And uh, next thing you know, he's, you know, he's going, he's going to court and he's, you know, he's got death charges against him. And that's a downward spiral. That'll take someone that's not on drugs and drive them to drinking, drugs, you know, those other things. And, uh, and if you're already in that situation, it's going to, it's going to become uh, a bigger habit, you know? So, so many levels it affects everybody from psychological, physical. Uh, you know, you got the people that get really sick from the storms, from the water, being in the water. There's so much chemicals in those waters. So, uh, yeah, it's it affects everyone on every level. Yeah. On every level. Yeah. How can we take the positive parts of the storm, how it affects people, and is it possible to amplify those? to yeah, I, I, I've always told everybody on my videos, I'm going to show you the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I, I like to show the good stories, um, the things where someone, even though, like, for instance, Doug, called Dog Man, he, uh, he was a guy who stayed drunk all the time, you know, but he joined up with us and started in that neighborhood. He pushed, uh, he pushed a, a grocery cart and delivered um, donations from what we had set up in an easy up tent. Mm-hmm. put blue top around and people came and tried to give him new tools and stuff for him to do his job that he was doing before the storm and he just wouldn't take it no I got a job he pointed over the tents I'm like no that's just volunteer and uh, I, you know I watched a man go from somebody that everyone was just ah it's just Doug he's the drunk to they depended on Doug to show up and if there was stacks of pizzas come in he would get out and deliver those uh, Bibles he was out delivering Bibles. He um, really, he worked himself to death. He literally did. And um, he had cancer and it just ate him up. But in the end, 
you know, uh, he's one of the 11th hour workers, you know, in the end he showed his compassion for the people. He got out there and when, when called into duty, he, he did what needed to be done no matter what his status was in life in the neighborhood or whatever else. And then when it was all said and done, you know, the whole, the whole, uh, neighborhood kind of rallied up, came to his, to his, his, uh, home and they did a kind of like vigil. Mm -hmm. And so you see this guy who was, like I said, he was just a guy with a couple of dogs, call him dog man, he had about five dogs and he looked like a Harley Davidson biker. Uh, in the end, uh, he brought a community together, you know, with his actions and inspired us. Well, if Doug can do it, we can do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so he was an inspiration and, uh, you know, I see God using those things and I see the people, uh, a mindset change over a whole neighborhood, you know, it can, it can easily happen just by the actions of one person. So, you know, we might, I might not be able to save everybody, but everybody can save somebody and, uh, with who you are. And again, it's just, I think it's just getting outside of your own little world. And I mean, it could be just a little lay down the street, had a flat tire for a week and everyone drove by, like never thought, you know, wonder why her tire's flat, knocked on the door and was asked. I find myself in a lot of those positions because I'm looking for them. So mm -hmm. I try not, I told y'all, I don't try, try to get on the road. Everyone's giving me these light flares and all, here Clyde, you may need these. I'm like, don't give those to me because I'll be behind the next wreck. You know, out there flagging traffic. So, um, but it seems like the more you get out there and do this, the more it appears. And you see, it's not that it's happened to me. It's already was happening around me. I just wasn't aware mm -hmm. of the circumstance until I got to that level of perception to where I started looking around and saying, yeah, maybe people really do need help around me from every level. Yeah. Well, Clyde, thank you so much for You're sharing welcome. your brains with us on Zombify. And if the whole world says that we're crazy, we don't need nobody anyhow. But if you don't want to fall in love, you better tell me right now. And if the whole world says that we're crazy, Zombified is a production of Arizona State University and the Zombie Apocalypse Medicine Alliance. And we would like to thank everyone who makes Zombified possible, including the Department of Psychology here at ASU. And the Interdisciplinary Cooperation Initiative funded by the President's Office at ASU. And the Lincoln Center for Applied Ethics. Of zombies and the <laughs> yes. apocalypse. Yes, <laughs> and maybe other things, too, that are less important. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we'd also like to thank all the brains that help make this podcast. Especially Tal Rom, who does our awesome sound.
That's right. And Neil Smith, who's made so many great illustrations for Zam and Zombified. Yeah, he's really uh, filling out the world, the the zombie apocalypse world that we're all living in now with the amazing illustrations. That's, and actually, you can see a lot of his illustrations if you go to channelz.org, which has yes. all our shows from yeah. the... And then also we'd like to thank Lemmy, who did the song Psychological. Yeah, because there is something psychological with you, Dave. With me. So, yeah. And, and you. And... <laughs> And our whole Z team, for that matter, they're, they definitely have uh, some mad zombification skills behind them. They're uh, the ones responsible for the amazingly zombifying um, social media that you might have seen on uh, Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Spotify. Right, it, might have, it might be the reason you showed up. You might have been like, must learn about brains. So. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, we're also on uh, on TikTok now. We're all over the place. Oh, so. there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, you can um, follow us and um, support us by getting on social media and um, sharing Zombified. You can also um, become a patron on Patreon and support us that way. You can also buy our merch. We have some amazing t-shirts and um, stickers and everything now available on um, on t public so you can get it for yourself or you can infect your friends because our t-shirts make great gifts so they do yes (laughs) if you know someone who loves brains or zombies or the apocalypse we got you set yes we definitely have you covered all right well thanks so much athena this was really fun It was really fun doing this episode with you, Dave. And thank you all for listening to Zombified, your source for fresh brains. I know it's crazy, but it seems so logical. I can't deny that there is something supernatural with you. Makes me act the way.